Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin, and in this special episode, we'll be sharing an exclusive interview with Julie Ann Cromet, CEO of Collective Moxie, who recently keynoted at the 14th Annual Global Ethics Summit. Julianne has worked exclusively with Hollywood film studios to ensure that the stories they tell reference culture faithfully, respectfully, and inclusively. In her keynote, Julianne shared how inclusive storytelling can help organizations address bias and drive better outcomes for diversity, equity, and inclusion. After her GES keynote, Julianne joined us on the Ethicast to dig a little deeper into these issues on inclusive storytelling. We're going to play that interview for you in just a moment, but be sure to stick around to learn afterwards how you can register to see Julianne's keynote and so much more from this year's Global Ethics Summit. Now, an important note before we begin. It is with no small irony that during our conversation on inclusivity, I repeatedly got Julianne's name wrong. I called her Julie, not Julianne, which is a mistake I made in the moment. Unfortunately, I can't fix that in our footage, but I am very grateful to Julianne for calling out my mistake afterwards so that I would not repeat it going forward. Julianne, thank you very much for that. Names matter, they have power, and it's important that we get them right. And now here's our interview with Julianne Cromet from Collective Moxie. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of The Ethicast. I'm Bill Coffin, Editor-in-Chief of Ethosphere Magazine and co-host of The Ethicast. And with me today is Julianne Cromet, CEO and founder of Collective Moxie. Julie. It's so good to have you here. Thank oh, you so much. So wonderful to be here, Bill. So we're recording this after coming off of a dynamite keynote that Julie gave mm -hmm. here at the 14th Annual 2023 Global Ethics Summit uh, about uh, inclusivity and storytelling and the power of that. Uh, and I just have to say, um, I was geeking out in a great big way when I was watching. I'm a, I'm a fan of all the stuff you've done. I, when you're saying, who's seen Prey? I wanted to bust through the wall like Kool-Aid because I've yes. seen Prey. I love Prey. I watched the Comanche version of it. Yes, uh, you and, did. And, and, okay. oh, no, it, was so, it was so awesome. So awesome. Can I ask a question? Because yeah, sure. this is an informal I'm doing by all means Comanche version better than the English version by a mile yes yes See, yeah, 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 everybody no, says no, this. it's by a mile and I'm, I'm the kind of cinephile I love watching movies in their in, in their original language and reading in subtitles yes sort of of yeah. but there was an energy and there's a passion and there's an there's a immediacy to the, the way the language was used in, in that, in that right. version and something you said that I thought was really fantastic because I had I had heard about this movie and I was like, wow, this is the first movie ever shot in Comanche. So I was like, I'm here for this. I want to check it out. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned how there's a very interesting decision. When you watch the movie, you don't have to go into normal language parameters to bring up Comanche. It was a very, very like main screen. It was so easy to access, yes. to access that. And I thought that was an ama uh, amazing part because in your keynote, you talked about this, this unfortunate moment during Wreck-It Ralph. Um, yeah where the character Tiana, her, her her dimensions of diversity kind of got wiped out of it because the digital models of the character and the lighting algorithms kind of erased some of the features that she should have had. And we're talking and it was you were talking about how there's like technical aspects that 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 support an inherent bias in storytelling. Um, the Comanche version, I thought that was a really ingenious way where the way the language options were so first, you know, so so foremost, um, it removed a potential systemic barrier to inclusivity that you often see when you go into language. So I was wondering if you could talk about that decision to get it up on the front of the screen. Sure, absolutely. So I love that you asked this question. It's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, I said it in the keynote, but um, I really learned it um, 
in, in truth um, in, in New Zealand um, when I was um, uh, the Maori uh, tribe there and they were welcoming us um, uh, for a summit. Actually, a summit where I wore the same jacket, hilariously. <laughs> um, and it's a great um, jacket. Thank you. Um, and what is standard in other countries, not necessarily the United States, um, is an honoring of the land on um, mm. which you are essentially asking for permission to be on because yeah. of, of colonialism. And one of the things that um, one of the tribal leaders said that really stuck with me was that culture is language and language is culture. Mm -hmm. And when you think about how technology can enable that conversation to me, pray is like the best example, because basically what it does is when you take away the barriers for folks to engage in other languages, and in this case, sort of a central language, a cultural element to the project, um, so that it sits in almost equal position mm -hmm. um, to English, you're making a statement actually yeah. about the importance of the language itself. Yeah. And um, when the um, director and team first came to 20th uh, Century Studios, now part of Disney, mm -hmm. who owns the Predator franchise and said, hey y'all, like we want to do this film and we want to do it in Comanche. Yeah. Um, Disney was like, well, we can't have you only do it in Comanche because we also need it in English and in other languages. And they said, that's fine, that's yeah. fine, get it. Yeah. Um, but there was a sudden negotiable of the Comanche version has to be treated with the same reverence as the English version. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and obviously that makes a statement on yeah. multiple levels. Yeah. And so um, that decision was made very early on so that then when it was gonna be released technically on the platform, mm -hmm. um, it was an intentional decision yeah. to make it literally, as you said, available on the main screen. Yeah. So you didn't have to go digging in the language menu. Um, and the profundity of the fact that, as you even said, that version has mm -hmm. actually become a fan favorite shows yeah. why the immediacy of language to the cultural authenticity of the piece yeah. really matters. Yeah, yeah at the end absolutely. of the day. Yeah, so, yeah. so if I can ask you about another movie that I'm a massive fan of, yeah. is, uh, that I know you worked on is Black Panther. Yes. So one of the things Wakanda I noticed- Wakanda Forever, anyway. Uh, Wakanda Forever, absolutely, <laughs> Imam Bay. Um, and by the way, um, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Rest in power, Chadwick, Chadwick yeah. Boseman. We lost him too soon. But that's kind of, it's actually yeah. gonna get a little bit to what I'm talking about, which is, I remember, mm -hmm. so I've been a long-time Marvel fan, so I was yeah. here for every Marvel movie, but you know what? I have never had a problem seeing myself in these characters because for the vast majority of all this entertainment, the characters were made to look like me. So sure. I didn't have to look for something where, sure. I, where, did sure. I, where did I feel included. When I was in the theater seeing other movies and when I would see trailers from Black Panther come up, um, black moviegoers were with me. I remember seeing this one family in particular, their, their kids were just, they weren't there for the movie practically, they're there for the trailer. And see, right. seeing themselves in, in T'Challa was such a massive moment. I, I actually got my kids, I was, I was like, check this out. Like this, like, this is why this matters, mm. you know? And it was a really mm. powerful moment. But you know, when you when you look, when you go ahead to movies like Avengers, uh, Avengers Infinity War and yep. Endgame, when those characters are removed from us, yeah. I had this, this very interesting moment where when, when T'Challa disappears, you could hear this, this it wasn't just, oh, we lost a hero. The people who saw themselves in that hero and having it taken away from them after getting it so recently hit very, very hard. hard. And I would yeah. love to get your thoughts on, did you notice anything like that when you saw oh, us yeah. in the theater? And, 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 and also, in Endgame, he was the first character they gave back to us as well. Oh, yeah. That had to have been an intentional decision yes. as well. So can you talk about that a little bit as far as 
the, the, the social covenant you make with an audience when you commit Absolutely. to inclusivity and then start playing with that inclusivity. Absolutely. I, I think I love that you call it a social covenant because that's exactly what it is. I'm actually going to borrow that phrase now and credit you. <laughs> it's all yours. Um, but, um, <laughs> but it is really true um, because part of what you're doing when you do inclusive storytelling and really what that is, is just reflecting the world as it is and as it will be. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and it's just that there's been a dearth for a lot of people in terms of seeing their world and their experience yeah. and their friends reflected. Right. Um, and what is perfect about that decision, I think, on multiple levels is the layers of commentary that that includes, which is this idea of of fleetingness that can occur for different communities, mm -hmm. right? This idea of is the other shoe going to drop, right? Yeah. Um, right? And the profundity yeah. of that Black Panther sits as one of the most important characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. without a doubt. And yeah. Kevin Feige has said it many times amongst yeah. a lot of people at Marvel, Nate Moore, who's the exec on all the Black Panther films. And um, I think what, for me, I, I noticed both the reaction, um, both actually in terms of when he was taken and when he brought back, and also in the newest film, um, mm. with so many of the decisions that were made in terms of you know, spoiler alert, who takes over Black right. Panther and the backstory of some yeah. of the Black Panther's experience. And for me, part of the cultural covenant, Marvel actually um, understands it really well. And they, they understand the audience covenant really well, you yeah. make because they understand that you can't take for granted the idea that you have to constantly be building a relationship mm -hmm. with the audience as opposed to just like a one and done. Yeah. And I think for me, that's the profundity of that moment and also all the moments that came after it because what you're acknowledging in that relationship with the audience is this cannot be something that has just happened because this has to be something that is deeply emotionally resonant well wrought 360 degrees and then treated that way for the rest of the life cycle of that yeah. story and i think that's why prey i think resonates actually yeah. so yeah. deeply on multiple levels i think that's actually why Encanto resonates so deeply <laughs> on multiple levels is yeah. because we get universality from specificity the universal human experience comes through the specificity and storytelling. And yeah. I think that is counterintuitive for a lot of people, yeah. but it's, it's true because though. it's true it's because so true. in the specificity of stories is where we feel the truth of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we all see ourselves in different aspects of those characters. Yeah. And that for me is actually really the covenant, which is this idea of like, I, as a storyteller, have a responsibility that in everything that I do, it has to be done in a way that is well wrought and intentional because I cannot take your intelligence for granted, audience, and your yeah. experience for granted. Yeah. And I think that for me is something that Black Panther illustrates um, in droves, yeah. really. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have time for one more question? Sure, absolutely. So one of the um, one of the most odious things about fandom when fandom turns toxic. Oh yeah. Right. And we've seen this with so many fantastic franchises where the fans become its own worst enemy. Um, an iteration of that or a manifestation of that that really gets under my skin is this this terrible phrase and it's always brought up whenever a franchise puts in the work to really you know make to really um to encourage inclusivity from the point of inception and it's this whole notion of go woke go broke right oh, and, and i just loathe yes. that phrase so much for a number of reasons not least of which is it's not witty <laughs> and, and, right, and, it's, and, it's, and it's patently untrue right. here at the sphere we often say uh that ethics is good business yeah and you had a great story about how um you know how the live action of uh, live action remake of aladdin 
put a lot of work into addressing problematic aspects of the original animated version yeah. and making sure that not just that those, product, those problems weren't repeated, but also that opportunities weren't missed. And the results were, were, were really in how well the movie has been received. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, just about, in general, how this work on inclusivity mm -hmm. really is not just a feel-good exercise. Um, it is, it's morally correct. It's morally, it's ethically imperative, correct. but it's also a fantastic business decision. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You have now hit on my other favorite topic. <laughs> Look, I promise this is not a plant. I didn't know he was going to ask me this question. Um, is, um, you know, everything for me about this is that it has to be true to the story and has to be successful sure. in every yeah. way. Other, well, for a host of reasons. One, because, like, why wouldn't you want it to be? But secondly, um, we, and I mean, we as a society can't actually afford to have things not work when there has been such little representation sure. across different media um, and representation of different uh, groups, intersections of identities, however you want to put it, right, regions of the world. And so um, every single data point that exists out there points to exactly what you all are professing at Ethnosphere, right, which is this is just good business mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and not only that, I put it one step further, which is this is really good creative. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. really good creative means really good business, which is why when somebody asked me, one of the questions in the session, I said, you have to really focus on the creative always as the lead in the dance, right? Because if you focus too much on just one aspect of the culture or on quote unquote, getting it right, you miss the human specificity component that actually makes the story successful as such. And so for me, the greatest examples of this are just even in recent history, um, in 2022, Encanto and Turning Red were the two most streamed movies of the year, both <laughs> yeah. focused on young women of color, right, non-white non women. Um, and in the case of Turning Red, directed by Domi Shi, who is a Chinese-Canadian uh, filmmaker um, who was basically telling her story of yeah. her childhood. Um, and by the way, we're about the same age, so I will say I appreciated the boy bands uh, references <laughs> uh, throughout the whole film, uh, but that... Um, it just shows you those were the movies that resonated most with audiences, mm -hmm. the hits, right? Yeah. And you see that in every aspect. I mean, Black Panther, one of the most successful movies of literally massive. all time. So like massive. literally <laughs> just behind the Avengers that also has Black Panther in it, yeah, right? right? Um, and um, one of my favorite stories is looking at it from a global context. I think a lot of times we see these statistics and we think, okay, that's in the U.S., but what yeah, about globally? Right. Because these rumors have persisted for so long, like black-led films don't travel abroad. Black Panther kind of shattered that in yeah, every way, sure. right? Um, because it's it's a leading movie, a top five movie in almost every major market in yep. the world in some way, right? Um, or, you know, how is Encanto gonna translate globally or whatever? And we see these stats come back. One of the most profound anecdotes for me on the business success piece globally is Coco, the movie mm. Coco, which by the way, sits in my heart, audience at home as one of my favorite movies of all time. I the tears. I know we're not supposed to have favorites. <laughs> I love oh, you, Pixar. Gosh, so um, but you know, when you sing, I mean, everybody, when you hear "Remember Me," it's just stop tears. I know. I'm already crying. I'm like getting stop. emotional thinking about the ending of that film. I know. Um, and what's amazing about Coco is when it premiered in China, opening mm -hmm. weekend box office in China, it is still to this day the number one Pixar film in China ever. Wow. And it's one of the top animated films in China That's ever. Astonishing. Yeah. And what was incredible was in the specificity right. of Day of the Dead, of Mexican culture, you know, as you can define it, right, with that family, with those characters, with the music, it translated directly to the Chinese market and people in a way that folks were crying in the movie theater and 
and literally yeah. third parties started hawking cocoa tissues in the movie theater no for moviegoers opening no weekend. Way. That is a true story. <laughs> That's and, and for me, it, it actually, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe it either was pretty close or outperformed the U.S. opening weekend with COVID. Wow, it's impressive. And, and for me, that is such a critical example of when we mean that specificity is universality, mm -hmm. it means it globally. Because there's something about human experience globally that that specificity taps into. Yeah. And in the case of the Chinese market, it connected to the respective elders in their culture, um, in the culture um, that has existed for generations. And they also have their own version of a Day of the Dead festival in the spring. Yeah. And so there was a real direct translation, even though it had nothing to do with China. So and great. so that's one of my favorite anecdotes yeah. as we think about the business success that yeah. comes from that specificity. That's fantastic. Well, before I sign off, I just want to say that as a storyteller myself, I believe very much in the power of heroic storytelling uh, and how it allows us to see the best version of ourselves. In that. Right. And I think anything that expands that ages so that anybody can see themselves in any piece of heroic fiction uh, is, a, is a good thing. It moves the world forward and puts us in a place where we need to That's be. Right. So I just want to thank you very much for the work that you are doing and all your colleagues in this field to really broaden and deepen the accessibility of storytelling uh, for audiences around the world. It's work that's been long overdue and it's massively valuable and deeply appreciated. I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. Thank, thank you. you so much. And thank, thank you. you. And everybody, keep watching and keep demanding the stories you want to see. We want to hear it. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, my name is Bill Coffin. This has been The Ethicast. We've been here with Julian Cromit of Collective Moxie. Uh, for more, check it out at www.ethosphere.com slash ethicast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. That was a terrific conversation with Julianne. I could have spoken with her all day long. To learn more about how Julianne can help your organization, please visit collectivemoxie.com. And to gain access to Julianne's keynote, as well as many more sessions, panel discussions, presentations, and other content, please visit globalethicsummit.ethosphere.com. Hit the button on the main page to register for on-demand tickets. The content will be on demand until July 19th. So be sure to register right away so that you can enjoy dozens of hours of premium ethics and compliance thought leadership. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been The Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit the Ethisphere YouTube page at youtube.com slash at Ethisphere. And wherever you're watching us, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.